Welcome to the One God Report podcast. In this episode, we continue a discussion with Rivers of Eden, interpreting the first verse of the Gospel of John. Today's episode is called, And the Word Was With God, a commentary on the Gospel of John 1.1b. In keeping with the methodology described in the two previous podcasts on John 1.1, we look at how the phrase, with God, is used in the Gospel of John and in other biblical literature to determine what the author meant by the phrase. I start by pointing out that even though John 1.1 is a favorite proof text for Trinitarians, there is no Trinity described in John 1.1. The word or title God in John 1.1 does not mean the Trinity. In fact, nowhere in John's Gospel does the word God mean the Trinity. This is very strange for the book that is often appealed to as the main text for evidence that God is a Trinity. Strange. God in the Gospel of John is never a Trinity. The discussion in this episode gets a bit technical since it is necessary to examine the phrase was with God and the similar phrase was with the Father in Greek. It will benefit the listener to know these two phrases in Greek. With God, in Greek, is pros tan theon. Pros is the word with, and tan theon, the God, with God. And with the Father is pros tan patera, patera, like father, pros tan patera. Rivers explains why the Greek preposition pros, which normally means toward, is best understood and translated in John 1.1 as with, and the word was with God. A main point of our discussion is to show that the phrase, the word was with God, refers to a human person, and not to either an abstract attribute or to a second deity person along with God. The phrase occurs over 100 times in the Bible, and in each case involves a person on earth relating to God in heaven. Another point that Rivers makes is that prostantheon, with God, is not the language that is used of something that is in God's mind, like wisdom, that is then personified as with God. In other words, prostantheon does not describe something or someone that is within God. The grammar of personified wisdom in Proverbs 8 and other literature, biblical and non-biblical, is different than what we have here in John 1. We suggest two options for understanding the phrase, and the word was with God, and a third option that somewhat overlaps the first two. Rivers suggests seeing the phrase, and the word was with God, as a resurrection or ascension text, parallel to John 1.18, which describes the unique one who is in the bosom of the Father. He refers to the occurrences of prostantheon In the Gospel of John, there's a list of them, which in each case describe the person of Jesus going to the Father. Bill suggests another possibility, focusing on the past tense of John 1.1b. The word was with God. The author introduces his Gospel by declaring that in a parallel way to Moses, the one he is about to describe in his Gospel, Jesus the Messiah, was with God in a unique way. Jesus is directly compared with Moses in John 1.17. Jesus, like Moses, gained knowledge 
by being uniquely with God. How did Jesus get his great understanding? How did he know his unique calling as the Messiah? Like Moses, who was with God, first at the burning bush, and then on Mount Sinai received the word of God, the human Jesus was with God. As Jesus said in John 8.38, I speak of what I have seen with my Father. In this interpretation, the word was with God refers to the unique relationship that Jesus had with God while he was on earth, before his death and resurrection. The two options mentioned above are not necessarily mutually exclusive. Indeed, the third option we suggest somewhat overlaps the previous two. We suggest John may have had in mind the mediatorial role that Jesus had and has as a priest who is said to be in God's presence with God. Finally, we take a look at the similar language in the first epistle of John, chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, and see that the eternal life which was with the Father, is not an abstract idea, but is the real human person, Jesus the Messiah, whom the author saw, heard, and touched. Let's go to the discussion. Welcome to the One God Report podcast. Here again with the Rivers of Eden, and we are coming back to take another look into the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1. We're actually going to talk about the second phrase in John 1.1, called John 1.1b, and the word was with God. Rivers, last time we talked about the first phrase, in the beginning was the word, and we've uh, come to the conclusion that in the beginning, while perhaps being an allusion to the Genesis creation, is actually referring directly to the beginning of of the ministry of Jesus and what God is doing through Jesus. And the word is a description of the person of Jesus. Now we'll take a closer look at that second phrase, and the word was with God. Rivers, you got a few comments to start us off on, on this phrase, the word was with God? Sure. So we've kind of already established in the first section that taking an intertextual approach and relying on the primary context of the fourth gospel itself leads us to the conclusion that the writer here may only be alluding to the Genesis creation with some of the language that he's using, but is actually applying terms like the beginning and the word to the circumstances of the time of Jesus' public ministry. Mm -hmm. And as we'll see as we continue going through the prologue, that this use of ha logos, the word in John 1 1, is actually the name for the human Jesus because of what characterized his delivery of the message throughout the rest of the book. So we're not looking at personification in John 1 1, and we're going to see today as we discuss John 1 1 B why that option can be eliminated. And we're also not looking at pre existence because. Uh, we've already established that it's more likely that the beginning is referring to the time of Jesus' public ministry. And then we're going to see that the word was with God not only establishes that this one called the word, Jesus Christ, is a different being and different person than the one called God, which we all agree in John 1, 1b is the Father, 
but also that the one called the Word is a human person. So I think a lot of what we talk about today will really have relevance not only to Trinitarians or Deity of Christ believers that might be listening to this, but also our Unitarian friends who I think you know we can demonstrate are making some mistakes when they approach John 1.1 and try to create the notion that the Word is actually impersonal. So I'm really looking forward to this discussion. I think it'll be valuable to both sides of the the debate, and I think it'll lead to some uh, really good discussion. I'll just jump in in an introductory way here, too, and say that for Trinitarians or Deity of Christ theologians that claim that the Gospel of John is the main gospel, which shows that Jesus is God and that God is a trinity, the very first time that the word God is used, God is not a trinity. As a matter of fact, I don't think there's any place in the Gospel of John where the word God means the Trinity. And like you mentioned here, Rivers, people, everybody agrees that the word God here in this phrase, and the word was with God, is the Father. And the Trinitarians are going to have to change the meaning of the word God from John 1.1b to the next phrase, John 1.1c. They're going to change the meaning. But here, it's very important to see there's no trinity in the Gospel of John. There's no description of a trinity here in John 1, 1 at all. People always go to me and say, when I tell people these days that I, I don't believe that God is a trinity, or that Jesus is God, they'll right away go to John 1, 1. John 1, 1, there's no description of a trinity here. It says the word was with God. Anything or anybody was with God. He is not God. You can see that the word is distinguished from God in this phrase. But Rivers, how about the idea that the word was with God? Yes, let, let me just introduce a little bit about the Greek here, because one thing I want to make clear is that the way this is translated, I'm, I'm looking at the New American Standard Bible, which is pretty much the same as uh, most of the other translations, but there's no reason to dispute any of the translation here. As far as the Greek is concerned, in the beginning was the word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God is the best translation. What we're addressing here is, now that we've translated this correctly, how do we interpret it? The bottom line is how we interpret these clauses, not looking for a different way to translate them. So as we're going through this, I, I just want to start with a little bit of Greek, just so people understand why this is an accurate translation. Mm -hmm. There's a couple things to point out here. In the, in the second clause where it says the word was with God, the preposition that's translated with is pros. And pros on its own is normally translated toward God or to God or when it's with prostantheon. There's over 100 uses of prostantheon throughout the Greek Old Testament and the Greek New Testament that we can look at. And usually it's translated to God, okay, or toward God. And the reason for that is because pros is a directional preposition. It implies motion in a certain direction. Okay, and, and when God is the the accusative or God is the object to God, then that indicates direction toward God. However, there's a second factor. The verb that's translated was, where it says the word was with God, is what's called a stative verb. It's a verb of being. So as far as 
Koine Greek grammar is concerned, when you have a stative verb, which doesn't imply any motion, it just means that something is being or something is without any motion, and that's coupled with a preposition, a transitive preposition like pros, where there's the implication of motion. Usually in Koine Greek, the verb, which is stative, will dominate the preposition. So that's why when you see translations of John 1.1, 1, 1, they don't say the word was toward God or the word was concerning God or the word was regarding God. They translate it the word was with God because the preponderance of the grammatical evidence indicates that the stative verb was or imi used along with the transitive preposition should be translated with. So we don't need to dispute the translation here. The word was with God is the correct translation. And another example of that I want to point out real quick is in John 1.18. You have the same type of thing. Okay, in John 1.18, you have the preposition ice, which normally means into, like moving into water or moving into the synagogue. But in that case also, you have the state of verb imi again, which in John 1.18 is, is the form own, okay, which is the... Um, present active participle of the same verb, imi, the same one that's translated hain, which is the imperfect indicative in John 1.1. 1, 1. So when you look at that, the translators have who is in the bosom of the Father. In other words, he's in that state of being. He's not moving in the direction or moving into the bosom, but he's in the bosom. And the reason they do that is because that verb imi, that state of verb, dominates the transitive preposition. So it takes the motion away from the preposition. So he's just in the bosom of the Father. And in John 1, 1, the word is with God. So I just wanted to point that out. I hope, you know, was simple enough for people to understand. But my point is just that the translation is correct. And we'll see the same thing when we get to the third clause, too, when the word was God. There's no reason to dispute that translation. The challenge for us is to explain it. Mm -hmm. So let me, uh, do you have anything to interject at that point, Bill? No, I think that's good. Why don't you keep going on? Let's, so what are the possibilities of what this means, the word was with God? All right. Well, one thing, let's focus on this um, prepositional phrase, prostantheon. Prostantheon is used, I think it's a 116 or 117 other times throughout Scripture besides what we find here in, in uh, John 1.1 1, 1 and John 1.2. And that's really important because that gives us a big sampling of, of uh, grammatical evidence in order to determine the way that this term was used in biblical Greek. For example, the, the first time it occurs is all the way back in Genesis. And it's usually part of simple passages where someone like Abraham or Moses is relating in some way to God who is always in heaven. So that's one of the important things to point out here is that when God is the, when you have prostantheon, God is the object of that prepositional clause, and God is different than any, anyone else or anything else. He's in a different location. So it's important to keep that in mind. So, for example, in Genesis 17, 18, Abraham says something to God. He's speaking toward God. You have Exodus uh, 2.23, for example, where the Israelites cry out, and that cry goes to God in the direction of God. 1 Thessalonians 1.8 is another example where Paul speaks about the Thessalonians having faith toward God, prostantheon. 
in Revelation 12, 5, there's the vision of the child who's caught up toward God or to God, then presumably referring to Jesus and his ascension in Revelation 12, 5. But again, you have prostantheon. Another example is in Revelation 13, 6, where you have the beast, this vision of the beast from the earth who speaks blasphemies against or toward God, prostantheon. One thing you can take the time to look up is that if you, whenever prostantheon is used, one thing that characterizes all the contexts where it's used is that it always is used when another person is relating in some way to God who is in heaven. Okay, and just like I pointed out with all those examples, and we don't have time to go through all the other ones, but that's the case in every use. In every immediate context where we find prostantheon, 25 times or so in the New Testament, I think there's 80 or 90 occurrences in the Old Testament, there's always an individual on earth, and even the beast in Revelation 13.6 is, a, is a, a beast from the earth, who is in some way relating by speech or making an offering. For example, in Hebrews 1 or 5, 1 and Hebrews 2.17, you have the priest offering things toward God. So there's an individual who is, in, who is relating things to God, making offerings, offering prayers, carrying yeah, those, out. The priestly ones are very interesting, right? Because that's right. One, of the, one of the possibilities I think that will suggest for interpreting this verse is that there is some mediatorial role here already that, that John is, I'll say, introducing in connection with the word. Yes. Again, we have to interpret this. So we've established that the word is referring to a person. So this one who is relating to God, we have to ask ourselves, in what sense is that happening? And I think following what we established in our previous conversations about taking an intertextual approach, I think it would be good to look at the eight or ten other times that this kind of uh, proston theon toward God and proston patera, which is, again, an indisputable synonymous phrase that's often used in the fourth gospel, which is just to the Father. But first I want to point out one thing, and this is directed toward our biblical Unitarian friends. One of the mistakes that I see being made by a number of biblical Unitarian interpreters is that they're claiming that this idea of prostantheon is indicative of personification. Because in order to suggest that the word is not referring to a person, at least in the early part of the prologue, what I've noticed that's, that uh, some of our biblical Unitarian friends are doing is, is that they're trying to appeal to wisdom literature and other sources in order to establish that this concept of being with God can relate to a personified attribute. And let me just show the passage that they're using and why that's not an option, okay? Because one thing that's a bit misleading is that when people are using other passages from outside the context of the prologue and the fourth gospel and even the canonical scriptures to defend this notion, they're appealing to passages that don't use the same grammar. Okay, and I'll give you some examples. One that often comes up is uh, Job 27.11. There's no prostantheon there. The preposition that's used is para. So when it speaks of something being with God there, it's not using the same grammar. And we'll see as we develop this idea of the implications of prostantheon, why that's important. What is the English translation of that, of Job 27? It says, 
I will instruct you in the power of God. What is with the Almighty, I will not conceal. Okay, so what they'll do is they'll say, well, see, uh, the power of God can be with him. But the, the grammar that's used there in Greek is not prostantheon. So it's a little bit misleading to suggest that Job 27.11, which is referring to the power of God, um, being with God, is the same thing as what the writer of the fourth gospel in John 1.1 1, 1 is intending to convey by using the entirely different prostantheon language. Let's look at Job 10.13. That's another one that comes up. Job 10.13 has, Yet these things you have concealed in your heart, I know that this is within you. So again, some will appeal to that and they'll say, okay, you see, uh, this can refer to, to uh, thoughts that are in God's heart or in someone's heart, within the heart. Okay, but again, that language is entirely different. It's not prostantheon. It's different Greek grammar that does not have the same implication. Another example is uh, Job 23.14. And they'll appeal to this text, which says, for he performs what is appointed for me, and many such decrees are with him. Okay, so here, some people will suggest, well, you know, decrees or plans are with God. But again, there's no prostante on there. There's no logos in any of these passages. So it, it's not likely that the writer of the fourth gospel is communicating anything like this in John 1.1. 1, 1. And we have, I should point out, we don't have, of all the the dozens of occurrences of prostantheon we have throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, none of them occur in a passage that involves any kind of personification. So based on the evidence and following the evidence, there's no reason for us to speculate that uh, John 1.1 1, 1 is using prostantheon or you know, was with God to personify anything or as part of a personification. There just simply isn't any evidence to support it. So when biblical Unitarians simply assert that, they don't have any exegetical basis. And doing sound exegesis is not about making assertions. It's about deriving conclusions from evidence. We have to follow the evidence. Let's give another example. In Proverbs 2, 1 and 2, My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your heart an ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. Now, this is one that they'll appeal to sometimes and say, well, you see that having the commandments or God's wisdom within you is uh, what is being conveyed here. But again, none of this grammar corresponds to the Greek grammar that's in John 1.1. 1, 1. There's no pros, there's no prostantheon, there's no logos. Even the term used for uh, words in Proverbs 2.1 is not logos mm-hmm. or logon. But even in Sirach 1.1, 1, 1, that's another one that people will a- appeal to. There's no logos, and the prepositions that are translated with there are para and meta, which are not, again, they're not pros. There's no prostantheon. Wisdom 9.9 is another one that they'll appeal to. And again, the grammar that's translated with there is a different preposition, meta. It's not prostantheon. There's no logos there. Mm -hmm. So all the passages that I've heard uh, some biblical Unitarians using to try to take the person out of John 1.1 and try to construe with to mean something that's within or something that's reflexive, is, is again, it's misleading and it's fallacious because it's not, the grammar doesn't correspond at all. That's not the sense of what prostantheon means. And we have a hundred other examples that they can't explain away that show that it's not reflexive. It's not talking about something in God's mind. It's not talking about a plan. 
you know, we covered that last week. Logos is not a thought or a plan. There is no logos until something is verbally expressed. And we saw throughout the fourth gospel that that expression is coming from Jesus himself. So I just wanted to point out that. So let's look at some of these uses of uh, prostantheon throughout the fourth gospel. And then in keeping with our intertextual approach, let, let's, as you were alluding to earlier, Bill, let, let's get some idea of, of, you know, what we have as options and kind of how the writer was using this language. Mm -hmm. hey, we already before you go, at, go let, let me interrupt you just a second. I think what you're saying is, is right. You can't find in the scriptures another place where the abstract idea of logos, the word, is prostanteo, right? You, I, you can't find that in the scripture. Nope. This abstract idea is there. And I think it's important as well to make the point that this word logos in the Greek, and probably its equivalent in Hebrew would be devar, it's not something that is connected in the biblical text in Genesis 1 with the creation of the universe. Rather, the emphasis of the word logos, even in the Greek text, but for sure in the Hebrew text with Devar, it's more connected with the promise, the promise of eternal life, or even warning. It's, the main use of it is, and the word of Yahweh, the word of God, came to Abraham in a vision, for instance. What's the emphasis of it? It's the promise of life, of, in Abraham's case, of descendants, of a land, and blessing upon people. And the word of God, the word of Yahweh, came to Jeremiah. Right? It's warning. It's uh, judgment. But also, even with a guy like Jeremiah, it's promise. So that's important to see. And I think that, yes, there are parallels between how the word of God functioned in the Old Testament and how it functions with Jesus. You might say the abstract idea of the Word of God, how it functioned in the Old Testament and how it functioned especially with Jesus. And that's maybe one of the reasons people get confused by the language of John's prologue because there are some parallels, but that's what John is telling us. In this word of promise of life especially, this is his promise, eternal life. The way that that's all functioning in past times coming to the our fathers now the epitome is in jesus christ god has spoken to us through a son so well, absolutely there's parallels between how the word of god functioned in the old testament the fathers of promise of life and of warning and of judgment so yeah there are parallels but look at that's exactly what john is saying just like the writer of Hebrews, now God has spoken, past tense, has spoken to us through a son. If you would then, let's go on ahead and look at how prostantheon is used in other places in the New Testament. Is that what you're thinking about doing? Yeah, I wanted to narrow it down a little bit more toward to the fourth gospel. Mm -hmm. So we can see how this writer is using it, because there's nothing that isn't in agreement with the rest of the uses anywhere else. So let's look at uh, let's look at John 13 first because that uses that's the other use in the fourth gospel of proston theon and then it also uses proston patera uh, in parallel to it so people can see that as we look at the proston patera which is to the father text that it's the same thing mm -hmm. Jesus says 
John 13, 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come and that he would depart out of this world to the Father. That's your prostan patera. Okay, and then verse 13 goes on. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going to God. And there's your prostan theon. So you have going to God and departing out of this world to the Father. Just so we can make it through the other ones. The things I just want to point out here is, is that this idea of going to the Father and going to God, prostan patera, prostan theon, is associated with his departure out of the world. In verse 13, 1, and then of course it's going to God where he is in heaven in John 13, 3. All right, let's look at the to the Father passages. And these are all the ones that use prostan patera, which again is the same thing. I don't think anybody would dispute that. Because uh, in John 1, 1b, as you mentioned earlier, Bill, uh, we all agree that uh, God there is referring to the Father, regardless of whether it's a Unitarian or, or a Trinitarian looking at the verse. Okay, so here's some other examples. So in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now, the, what I want to point out here is, is now we have prostan patera, but what Jesus is associating it with here is being the way to the Father. He himself, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And we discussed on our previous podcast that we can tie the truth into the word in John 1.1, and as we'll see coming up as we go further, we're going to be able to tie the life into John 1, 3, and 4. So now we have the way to the Father. So another implication of this language in the fourth gospel is that it's referring to a way to the Father. And of course, that would make, make sense in John 1, 1b as well, because we have this one called the Word who is showing the way of eternal life. And he himself is that life, and he himself is the one going to the Father as a propitiatory sacrifice. We'll go to John 14, 12. Here we have it again. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Prostan Patera, another reference to going to another place out of the world where the Father is located. John 14, 28. You heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. So here, another reference to where going prostan patera to the Father is talking about where Jesus was going to be after he completed his ministry. And again, same thing in John 16.10, because I go to the Father, you will no longer see me. John 16.17 some of his disciples then said to one another, what is this thing you're telling us? What is Jesus telling us? A little while and you will not see me, again referring to his death, and again a little while and you will see me. That's when he appears to them after, shortly thereafter, a few days later when he's raised from the dead, and because I go to the Father. So they understood that he's talking about going somewhere else to be with the Father. John 16, 28, Jesus says, I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. I am leaving the world again and going to the Father. So there again, prostan patera associated with leaving the world and going to the Father. And then finally, John 20, 17, Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me. 
referring to Mary, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. So again, here we have this proston patera, this to the Father language associated with ascension. And again, because God is in a different location. Now, I just want to go real quick because there's a couple important ones that are also found in First John. And, uh, you know, we agree, Bill, that First John uses a lot of the same language. Could have been written by the same anonymous author. We don't know for sure. But the language is very similar. And so I think it can further enlighten us on what was the intent of the writer. Now, here we have in First John 1, 2, it says, the life was manifested, and we have seen and testifying proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. So again, this is associating eternal life, the one who has eternal life, with the Father. Then we'll go on to 1 John 2.1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate toward the Father or with the Father. Same thing, prostantheon, who is Jesus Christ the righteous. So this one associates Jesus after he has ascended into heaven, being in the presence of God the Father as an advocate, still functioning as an advocate. So it still carries that connotation of him relating to the Father, and it identifies that person as Jesus Christ. So when we look at all of these, I just want to make the, the point that the way the writer is associating all of this proston theon and proston patera language in the fourth gospel is with another person, a human person, Jesus Christ, relating and going toward and being in the presence of God the Father. Mm -hmm. So that's a strong indication that what he's using the language for, if we follow all the evidence in John 1, 1b, is implying that this one called the Word is this person, Jesus Christ, who is described throughout the rest of the fourth gospel as being the way to the Father and going to the Father. Right. And ultimately in 1 John 1, as being an advocate with the Father who is himself the propitiation for the sins of the world. If I understand you right, Rivers, you are saying that this could be understood as a ascension or resurrection text, that after Jesus died and was raised from the dead, that his ascension is, and his presence now at the right hand of God, is what's being described here. And I would say that has some legitimacy to it. If we look back at the prologue at verse 18, I think there is a kind of inclusio between John 1, 1, our phrase here, and the word was with God, and verse 18, John is writing this knowing that this one Jesus has been raised from the dead and has ascended to the right hand of God. And you have a kind of a similar phrase where he says, no one has ever seen God, the unique son, who is in the bosom of the Father. Well, that's somewhat of a similar phrase to that he was with God the closeness who is in the bosom of the Father. He has made him known, or he has explained him. So it's easier to see John 1.18 as a kind of resurrection text. But there is the present tense there in John 1.18. You have the unique son who is in the bosom of the Father, where it's not here in John 1.1. So, yes, I can see that this author is writing this text from the sense of 
knowing that Jesus is already resurrected. But all of those prostantheon toward or with the Father verses that you described are resurrection texts, ascension texts. But you have the transitive verb in all those, right? He is going toward the Father. And right. this past tense in John 1.1, 1, 1, let's just throw out another possibility here, is that, as I mentioned, John is writing this, and he is seeing all of what happened, the life of Jesus. He's seeing something that has been accomplished. He's declaring that through the life and ministry of Jesus, including Jesus' words and his works, and that culminated in his being raised from the dead, everything's in past tense. The author sees this as real events concerning a real person in history. It's happened. And I think he sees in this whole event, we call it, of the life of Jesus, God has spoken to us. So that when he says, and the word was with God, I wouldn't exclude the idea of a ascension connected to that, but I still think it's something that he sees as what went on during the ministry of Jesus. Because after all, that is what John is introducing in the prologue. He's introducing who Jesus is, what happened in the life of Jesus, what Jesus spoke. The emphasis of this in the word was, past tense, with God, is something that the author sees as occurred in the past, a real event. Now, what does it mean? One of the possibilities of parallel with Moses already here, right? We could see this as, a, as an anti-type, you could say, to Moses. Because Moses was known as somebody who had been with God right on Mount Sinai. So that this idea of being with God can mean that Jesus had a unique relationship with God. How did Jesus know who he was? How did he get an understanding? Even they were one, the people were wondering, what did he get this knowledge? And a guy like Nicodemus, he acknowledged that God was with Jesus because nobody could do the things that Jesus did unless God was with him. But in a similar way, somebody like Jesus who came to understand that he was Messiah, who came to have knowledge, he came to be able to speak in a way that nobody else could speak. And I think this is the emphasis of John here that he knew that Jesus had been with God in a unique way. Let me elaborate on that a little bit, uh, Bill, because I wanted to get into the Moses connection, because I don't think we can uh, ignore that here, because as you just pointed out, in John 1.17, we have kind of a comparison of Jesus and Moses. For the law was given by Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, or was realized through Jesus Christ. Now, a couple of the interesting Prostan Theon texts in the Old Testament involve Moses. And I want to build on what you just said. The interesting thing is, is that when Prostan Theon is used of Moses in Exodus 4.16 and also in Exodus 18.19, and it's used of the priests in Hebrews 2.17 and also in Hebrews 5.1, there's things that are added to the text. In other words, Moses is said to be relating things toward God. And the priest in Hebrews 2.17 and in Hebrews 5.1 is said to be ministering things toward God. 
And of course, those things relate to the sacrifices for the priest and the other offerings that they did. And then in the case of Moses, it's specifically referring to Moses in Exodus 4.16, hearing things from God and then telling them to Aaron and then Aaron going and actually being the one who speaks to the people. And then in Exodus 18.19, it's interesting because Moses is said to, to be the one who takes the needs of the people, the disputes and, and, and complaints of the people to God or toward God, prostantheon. So he's the one that mediates between God and the people. Now, what I want to point out here and that you alluded to is that the interesting thing about John 1.1 is that there are no things. That's not added to the text. So when it has hain prostantheon, that stative verb with prostantheon, it's referring to the word we could say as the one himself. Okay, so it's a stronger emphasis on the fact that, that Jesus Christ is the one who is relating directly to the Father. And I think you get that sense in John 1.17. The law was given through Moses, but we know from Acts chapter 7, 35 to 38, we know from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 2, and we also know from Galatians 3, 16 to 19, that all the apostles understood that Moses was a mediator for the angels who actually spoke the law to him. But what we find throughout the fourth gospel is, is that Jesus is constantly claiming that he has direct communication with the Father mm -hmm. and that he is the one who knows the Father. He heard and the this, words of God. Yes, and he is the one who ha is making the unique claim to be the Son of God. And I think that might be borne out a little bit in the immediate context here in John 1.17 where the law was given by Moses but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, which we'll see if we do another podcast is similar to the grammar in John 1, 3. All things came through him. So it, this idea of the word was with God, it also involves his, him sacrificing himself as an eternal sacrifice, as the once-for-all offering. That's a big theme in Hebrews 7, Hebrews 9, Hebrews 10. Jesus himself was the offering. And so that may be the reason why the word is uh, said to be with the Father, because Jesus himself, like John the Baptist says later in John 1, he, him, Jesus himself is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This priest is offering himself. He's not offering other things. And so that may be the strength of this unique grammar, this hain prostantheon that the writer is using here in 1.1b. But there's an implication I, of the mediatorial priestly role as well of Jesus. I'll say again that I can see that there is a parallel between the way the word functions in the Old Testament and the way God has spoken now through Jesus Christ. And like I say, I think that's one of the reasons people get confused and they only want to say that the word is an abstract idea in the first few verses here of John. But to me, that's the point the author is making. Is he saying, look, we've seen how God has worked in the past by giving us his word, revealing who he is, explaining who he is. But now, that is epitomized. Jesus 
is the word par excellence. So, yes, we've got the parallels to what the word was in the Old Testament. And one of those things is eternal life. And I'll go to 1 John, where it says that we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father. So there is a sense in which, yes, the idea of eternal life was with God even in the Old Testament period. And he made it known to human beings. But First John goes on to say, and was made manifest to us. That's clearly a reference to Jesus Christ. So John sees that eternal life that, yes, in the Old Testament period it was with the Father in promise. But now it's epitomized in who Jesus is. It's someone they have touched with their hands. They've seen with their eyes, as First John says in the verses right above. So let's not get confused and say this is only an abstract idea in John 1's first verses of the word. No, that word is epitomized in who Jesus is. You point to the very similar grammar that's used in 1 John 1, 2, where it says, the eternal life which was with the Father, hein prostan patera. So that's the closest thing we have to this unique grammar in John 1, 1, hein mm. prostan theon. Mm. And of course, everyone agrees that prostan patera and prostan theon refer to the same thing, mm -hmm. the Father. The eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. The one who is the eternal life is Jesus Christ. The writer is going out of his way to explain that he's talking about a person because he's giving a very forensic explanation of what this eternal life is. And he uses what, and I know that you know that's neuter, so sometimes it throws people off and they think, well, he's not saying who. But context determines meaning and not isolating a, a pronoun that happens to be neuter or masculine. I would okay, say the same he, thing. He, they can understand that the, let's call it the abstract promise of God, of eternal life in the Old Testament, that it's fulfilled, it's epitomized in this human being, Jesus Christ, who they saw with their eyes, who they touched with their hands, who they heard with their ears. They know that that eternal life is wrapped up, bound up in him, person, Jesus Christ. This is someone saying, I'm an eyewitness. If you look at 1 John 1, 1 and 2, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, okay, in order to hear, there has to be a speaker with a mouth. What we have seen with our eyes, in order for them to see, that's another sense involved. Again, this is very forensic. Mm -hmm. This is someone saying, I'm an eyewitness, or our experience, what we have seen with our eyes, okay? We don't see abstract concepts about eternal life with the eyes. Mm. It, we don't see it unless it's unless it's it's a physical thing. Because when he says seen with the eyes, he's not talking about perception. The eyes tell us in the context that he's talking about seen in a visual sense. Mm -hmm. What we have looked at, that's a stronger way of, of saying that not only have we seen it, but we've actually looked at it long enough to know that it's real. And incidentally, that verb for looked at or gazed upon is the same one that's translated beheld in John 1.14 and touched with our hands that you alluded to, that another physical sense. This is very forensic. This is an mm -hmm. experience with an audible, visual, and tangible person. 
And all he's doing with the neuter pronouns here is just saying it's concerning the word of life because this person is the manifestation of the concept of eternal life. And then he goes on, and the life was manifested. Manifested is another forensic term for something that's actually seen in person with the eyes. Mm -hmm. So this writer is going out of his way to explain that this whatever was with the Father, this internal life, is a human being, a tangible human being. He's not talking about a pre-existing thing. He's not talking about an angel, an audible, visual, and tangible person that they've had an encounter with. And then he goes on and says, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life. So again, they've seen the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us go on to verse three there. What we have seen and heard, he repeats it again. You know, we know what we're talking about because we're eyewitnesses. So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So he's telling you that he's talking about the Son, Jesus Christ. And he's distinguishing that Son from the Father. So this passage shows us, again, that this language of Hain Prostan Patera was with the Father is referring to an audible, visual, tangible person who only could have been known to the disciples when he was a human being and they lived among it, whether it was before or after the resurrection. So when we look at the intertextual evidence, we have to go into John 1.1 and consider that the reason the writer is using like we talked about the last two podcasts, Logos, the word, is because throughout the rest of the book, that particular word is associated with a particular person. And a verbal expression can't occur without someone who has a mouth to speak it. God spoke in a son, as you said. Mm-hmm. That Logos is associated throughout the fourth gospel with the human being, Jesus Christ. There's no Logos associated with Jesus speaking anything as an eternal second person of the Trinity. Okay, All of that word associated with him is what he's doing during his public ministry. Same thing with this prostantheon and prostantera. It's always used of the human being, Jesus Christ, and associated with what he is doing and where he is going and while his disciples are with him and know who they're talking about. So I think this is really critical in John 1.1 1, 1, to, uh, to look at the intertextual evidence and realize that that language is just an abbreviated way of referring to Jesus Christ. We will stop there and in a future podcast plan to look closer at John 1.1c and the word was God. This is Bill Schlegel for the One God Report podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, please rate it and write a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. That will help others to find us and share the podcast on social media. For constructive discussion, you are welcome to join the One God Report Facebook group. Yishma'u anavim ve'yismachu. The humble will hear and rejoice.